Hello and welcome to Ear Read This, Edinburgh's most powerful book podcast. I'm Ash, your host, and today's episode is an extended conversation with my guest Trish Grisafi. Uh, Trish joined me for the last episode on Sylvia Plath's poem Stings. Check that out if you haven't already. And today we talk more about Trish's own work. She is the author of a book on Plath called Breaking Down Plath, so we talk a little bit about that. Um, she's also a freelance writer and she has a book of poems out next year. We don't get to talk about that because I don't think it was announced when we actually held this interview. That's my fault. And we talk a little bit more generally about Plath too. We talk a little bit about Otto Plath, uh, Plath's changing reputation over the last few decades, Plath and feminism, and the fact that Plath is not a phase. I started out in the obvious place, though, asking where it started for Trish and Plath. So... This, I first kind of read Sylvia Plath when I was really young. Um, I think I picked up Ariel when I was 12. And I had been listening to like a lot of Courtney Love, um, you know, and Hole and like that, all those music, you know, that music scene. And I remember reading, I don't remember what magazine it was. I wish I saved it. Like Courtney Love had said, like she was reading Sylvia Plath or something. And I was like, oh, I should pick that up. And I picked it up and I was like, oh, this is like the best this is the best. Um, and so after that, I just sort of went to the bookstore and the library and like got everything I could find, you know, about Plath. And my mom was like, oh God, she's going through a Plath phase. Like this is, (laughs) (laughs) and I was like, no, I'm not. Um, and I wasn't because like, here I am almost Mm. 40 (laughs) and I've got, you know, Plath, but, um, Plath's not a phase. That's my face. That's why, like, kind yeah. of one of the things I talk about in the book is that kind of like, <laughs> you know, when parents or, or older people like see you've picked up your plath, they might be like, oh, they're going through their their emo whatever um, stage in life, and maybe that's not true. And if it is, like, why not? Also, like, have it. And then when did you when did you first come to write about her? When when did when did the phase sort of like get serious? Um. So I um you know, I, I kind of like, you know, throughout high school, whenever I could like have a chance in English papers, like I would write about her. And when I got to college, um, I had more like self-directed study. So I was able to study her more in depth. And then by that time, there were more materials that were coming out also. Um, and I had access to like journals that I hadn't had when I was in high school. So, um, I was able to do a senior, uh, honors thesis project, my, uh, you know, when I graduated on Plath and I wrote this like monograph and I look back on it now and it was, it was so bad, but whatever. Um, you know, it was really fun and it was, it was exciting to do research like that. Um, Mm. and then when I got to graduate school, I continued to kind of like, you know, do research and work on Plath. And uh, in my doctoral thesis, one of my chapters was about the bell jar. Um, and, you know, now it's really wonderful because there's so much that comes out about Plath, you know, and uh, there's the Plath Society and there's conferences. I've been to a few conferences that have been like so exciting and really lovely way to meet people in the community. It's a great community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it just kind of like reinforces that, you know, it wasn't a phase, right? And it's kind of like a lifelong, like it's a lifelong obsession and an interest. And the thing that's so cool about her work is how it really just like transform with you as you grow and that you can find new things. Like when I had my, my first child, I read her stuff in an entirely new way. Like it completely changed for me. 
Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, I think it's just something that can stay with you. Her work doesn't, doesn't like peter out once you get out of your teens. <laughs> no, no, exactly. You mentioned that it's, it's, it's the book you, you wish you had as a, as a teenager when you were reading um, Plath for the first time. And you said like in, in the, in the nineties, there, there was nothing like the kind of uh, societies or, or availability of Plath material. Yeah. What, what do you, what do you put the rocketing interest in Plath down to? Is it, is it to do with the, the journals and the letters coming out is it, or, or archives opening up or is it, is it just, is it just one of those weird things about certain arc after, after an author's died that suddenly interests like shoots up? I feel like there's, there's gotta be a lot of things. Like there's always interest in her. It just was hard to find communities. Like I remember, you know, in the nineties when you have like those very basic web pages, you, you could go looking, you could find mm -hmm. someone's fan page, you know, on GeoCities or whatever. And, um, you know, but with the internet, obviously I think that these communities have become, you know, um, more cohesive and yeah. definitely the opening of um, archives for sure. Like it's just really exciting every time an archive like has a new, you know, has something new to find. There's always something new to find, you know, there's um, auctions, right? There's all sorts of cool stuff that's happening. Um, I think we're also at a time you know, where we're not, I mean, hopefully, you know, sometimes it was embarrassing in college or even in the beginning of grad school to say I'm working on Plath because there was that reputation, that weird sort of like, oh, you're working on this female writer who committed suicide. Oh, really? And, and maybe you were like, oh, now you're making me sound kind of like I'm not rigorously like academic or um maybe you're downgrading this like female energy or, you know, something like that. I don't know. But um, now, like, I feel, I feel like class studies is in a whole other sort of dimension where nobody kind of is, has, has the time for that kind of like, you know, guff. Um, it's, it's more like, well, this is some really, you know, fascinating stuff that can tell us all about like history. And it can tell us all about like the role of women, you know, in different times, you know, and it can tell us about literature and it can tell us about like all sorts of interesting things. You know, it's not just like a very depressing, like cautionary tale to tell young women writers or, you know, right. young writers in general. It's not just the tale of a suicide. It's so much more. It's a tale of a lot. Exactly. You know, this is what it is. Yeah. Um, we mentioned briefly in, in the section on, on stings that you, you stress in breaking down Plath that there, there is a tendency to read Plath as a straight biography, which is probably how people landed at this story of a suicide, you know, the, the, the tag of, oh, it's the, the suicide poet. Why do you think, I think one of the most fascinating things about Plath is how, how her poems almost function like puns, like there is an autobiographical strain and then there's, there's so much more and they, they operate on these different levels consistently. Why do you think uh, there has been that tendency for people to overlook the way that she transforms her, the material of her life along with everything else? No, I like, I like, I like how you, um, you, you kind of describe them as levels. That's, that's exactly like what's happening. Um, you can read her poems from many different, you know, angles, right? So let's say you are new to her work and that's what you want. You want to read this as a real story. Right, you pick up Ariel and you're reading the poems and you say, this happened to a person named Sylvia Plath. That's great, you know, this is a good way to get into poetry. I'm not gonna say don't read it like that. 
but the hope is that like, as you keep reading and, um, you know, you can see and appreciate how Plath like transformed what we see as everyday experiences into this like high art. You know, you get the surface readings and you get sort of the more in-depth readings where you can do a close reading using, you know, analyzing metaphors, right? And structures and things like that. And you can then go really deep and you can take your journal, you know, Sylvia's journal and you can take her letters and you can go and see like, oh, wow, like that word was used here or, you know, that story happened here and this is the way that she transformed it into this poem. Um, what does that tell us about how her creative process worked? Sorry, the dog is going to bark. But <laughs> I'm like holding her little face. Um, <laughs> you know, and... Got, got oh, things to say. It's a very interesting topic. She's like, I want to be a part of this. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, in terms of, you know, the the transformation, I think, I think this is just great because you can read these poems in so many different ways. And I, I think that the emotional impart stays with you. And it's, you know, people want, people like, and maybe, maybe, maybe this is an American thing, I'm not sure, like Americans like the juicy, salacious story, right? And um, this is, you know, Plath is an American writer who went, you know, who went to become an expatriate, right, in the UK. So she's, she's a story, right? Like, <laughs> she's an American story. Um, and people treat her biography as a story. But I think, I think also Plath, maybe she saw her life, maybe she saw her life and so the way she writes about, she's, maybe she saw her life as sort of like a grand melodrama, right? Cause like, I feel like a lot of writers do this. Sometimes they like see their life as a narrative. Um, and maybe Plath saw maybe these parts of her life as narrative. And that's why when she wrote about them, they're so grand. Like, obviously we weren't there, but there are people there who can tell you, right? What happened at the party, the Falcon Yard party or whatever. Um, but that's part of why also her journals are so awesome. And like, you read them kind of like they're a story. It gets all mixed, it gets all mixed up, right? There's, there's, sometimes it's hard to tease away like what's the life and what's the story because even in the journal, it reads like you're reading a, like a really awesome, you know, narrative. She's just such a good writer. Like anything she writes like automatically becomes, you know, something you want to read. Um. Something that really like jumped out uh, in in breaking down Plath is that you, you mentioned that Plath, uh, when Plath died, it was right on the brink of second wave feminism. And I've always been kind of interested in in asking what what kind of feminist would would Plath have actually called herself, or or, or what what would she have identified with? It, it, is there a difference between being a feminist icon and being sort of like an out, you know, a, a targeted feminist? Yeah, I think there's totally a difference between being kind of like lauded as a feminist icon and actually practicing mm. feminism in one's life, right? Um, and she did, she did really just, you know, she almost made it. And I, I, I wonder if she would have made it, if it would have really helped transform her life or helped given her some hope, um, but we'll never know, right? So, uh, you know, when we think of Plath as a feminist poet, we can't we can't like use that word really you know because it didn't it didn't quite exist for her like we think of it now and i mean even even as we go through different you know the word feminist changes and um evolves over time so maybe like when we talk about what plath would have encountered it would have been second wave feminism right 
And some of the things that she already valued that would have become like rallying cries, right, in that movement. And we see this in the bell jar in her writings. She was, you know, she advocated for sexual freedom above all things, right? She um, believed in um, women's freedom to pursue um, sexual relationships. She believed in birth control. Mm -hmm. um, she didn't believe in like the domestic um, kind of myth. She didn't believe in the sexual double standard where men could sort of be freer to um, engage with sex and women can't. So like, these are kind of some values that would have been aligned with second wave feminism. Um, kind of the work-life balance when I think about Plath sort of having, you know, having her children and a domestic life, but still really trying hard to work at being a working writer and poet. That was something novel for that time. That was something that she really wanted to do. She wanted to work um, and she wanted to raise her family too. So this like, you can have it all, that kind of concept, um, you know, would have been appealing, but also as we know now, you can't have it all. It's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, she uh, also, I'm trying to think, I don't want to say she believed she, she, you know, she behaved in ways that were antithetical to feminism because, you know, when she found out her husband was having an affair and she called, you know, his mistress names, that's just being like angry, but it's interesting the ways that she sort of would, would like denigrate, I guess, a CEO level, like with, with, uh, you know, aspersions cast on her looks or her youth or her beauty or her, um, ability to have or ha not have children at the time, that kind of you know, but Sylvia was very ahead um, of her time for women. You know, she had an advanced degree. She traveled and lived abroad, right, on her own. That was stuff that really wasn't common um, for young women of that time period. So yeah. even if she wasn't like a, a feminist, you know, as we think of it, she definitely had feminist practices. Blazed, blazed a trail, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, kind of, the kind of community of women writers, like she was you know, she was close-ish with Anne Sexton, you know, they, they talked with each other about their writing and that would, you know, in second wave feminism, this consciousness raising and community building would have been really important. And that's why I keep thinking, I'm like, oh man, if Plath could have had that community, um, she would have had support. Mm -hmm. and that would have been important. Yeah, definitely. Um, you said you said something really interesting in the um, this thing section about the association between buzzing and then the German language, her, her father's language, and and you write in uh, breaking down Plath that uh, Sylvia Plath had a real fear of her father's potential fascistic or Nazi sympathies. Was there any evidence, first of all, of, of Otto Plath having Nazi Nazi sympathies, or was there anything in particular that that Sylv that worried Sylvia? So. It's very interesting because like, I think, you know, over the years, there have been information that's come out, which, you know, people don't have had previous, like, um, you know, looking, you know, to look at. And there was, I think, an F, I want to say it was an FBI. Yeah, it was an FBI. I think um, maybe if he was apparently investigated by the FBI for um, pro-German sensibilities, but they didn't find anything. So it seems like Otto Plath was not a Nazi and he did not have Nazi sympathies. Um, however, I think what maybe Plath was afraid of or thinking of or what other people saw was someone was a German immigrant, right? So Otto Plath immigrated from Germany and he 
was still very proud of his German heritage. So he was he immigrated in world during World War One. Um, so he was looked at suspiciously, you know, and he was unable to get I think work that he wanted or perhaps uh, maybe a job that he had wanted, maybe it was, I'm forgetting now, but I think maybe it was a teaching job or an advancement in a teaching job. And he was, he thought perhaps it was because that he was German and he was being, you know, passed over for the job because of that. So um, even though no one was able to find anything, maybe he felt that people were suspicious of him or treated him poorly because he was a, a German immigrant. And that's hard. I mean, her mother, uh, Aurelia, was also an immigrant from Austria. So she has these two parents who've come from a, a country that is, you know, that people at the moment were not thinking like very, you know, like kindly of uh, that was going through some, you know, real rough stuff. And, you know, uh, maybe she felt guilty or weird or kind of a sense of fear in herself, maybe. I'm not sure. But but there was no factual as of now who knows maybe things will turn up but as of now there was no factual evidence that you know in when we read daddy that Otto Plath or the daddy figure in that poem was a real Nazi but when you're a poet you can be hyperbolic of course and you can you can, <laughs> you can use your, your your fear is enough it's no it's, it doesn't need to be you know yeah. documented yeah well, I've, I, that's, I've got to the end of my questions. I just I, I, I want to ask you where people can can get uh, uh, breaking down Plath. It's a it's a terrific introduction, but not only an introduction. Like you offer some fascinating insights. It's specifically into you managed to get into certain poems and and kind of through those poems kind of chart a lot of her artistic career. It's a it's it's, it's a brilliant book. I really really enjoyed reading. Oh, thank it. you. I, I really wanted it to be like accessible. Um, mm -hmm. for like all types of readers, because I come, you know, my background is in academia and, you know, I'm just fed up when people write stuff that no one can read because what's the point? <laughs> yeah. So you want to read something that everybody can like, um, you know, enjoy. And she also learn something from and not feel stupid reading it. Um, sure. so yeah, but it's, I think it's available in the UK now it's, you know, in America, you put it on Amazon or at your local bookstore, you can place an order if you want to support your local bookstores that's always great i think uh in the uk you have it, it, it now available also i think it came out there maybe a few weeks ago i'm not quite sure i think so i think i saw that yeah okay yeah. so yeah that would be you know that would be great like you can you know anyone can read this like adults give it to the teenager in your life you know like middle school high school students um if yeah. you're interested in plath or you want to get them interested in plath it's a good um, guide for teachers. It's a good guide for librarians. Um, yeah. And that's all for today. Uh, big thank you to my special guest, Trish Grisafi. Uh, there are links to uh, Breaking Down Plath in the episode description box below. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. And until next time, happy reading.